0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this section this morning, I would title it Love for Others. And love is this idea we hear as children and then we spend our lives kind of growing and beginning to try to understand what is this idea of love. In fact, this last week, uh, our middle daughter, Ophie, she asked her mom, she said, Mom, do you love Dad like you do us? You know, so you begin trying to explain this idea of, well, no, not really, it's different, but there's all these kind of things. So then that got me thinking. Kids probably do know a lot about love. And so there's little Billy, he's four. He said, when someone says your name differently than everyone else— You know your name is safe in their mouth. That's love. Now, he's probably had his middle name called a lot of times, and that's probably what he's thinking of. Or there's little Terry. She was only four. She said, love's what makes you smile when you're tired. Some of you have that this morning. I know you lost an hour last night. Or Audrey, she's seven. She said, when my mom sips dad's coffee in the morning to make sure it's good, that's what love is. Or little Noel, she's seven. She said, love's when you tell a boy you like his shirt And then he wears it all the time. That's what love is. But my favorite has to be from the wise Carl at age five. He said, love is when a girl puts on perfume, a boy puts on cologne, and they go out to eat and smell each other. And uh, see, there's all kinds of ways to define love. And so I want to give us a definition this morning, and then let's go to the scriptures and see if that is accurate. And here's the definition. Love is doing whatever it takes to give people what they need the most. Not what they want, but what they need the most. That love is doing whatever it takes to give people what they need the most. And so this morning, I'm going to pull out nine things about love from this passage. And we're going to begin in verse 9 with the first thing. It says, and I teach from the ESV. Uh, If you're wondering, I think it's a great translation. Um, So here's how it reads in the ESV. Let love... Be genuine, mean to be real, to be authentic, uh, to be sincere. But notice it just says let love, but it would really mean to let your love be genuine. And notice that word love. There's all kinds of ways to describe love. And if you do uh, a word search, you'll find this is the agape love. It's the God-like love. It says let it be genuine. And that word comes from our word hypocrisy, meaning let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. But it's so interesting to me that Paul could have said all kinds of things about love. He could have said, let your love be faithful or let your love be constant. Let, let your love be bold. But he says, let your love be without hypocrisy. So why would he choose this word Hypocrisy. I believe it's because it says something so much greater than what we might realize. Because if love has hypocrisy, it's only concerned with himself or herself. And that's not love. If love is only concerned about me, it's not true, Godlike love. In fact, hypocrisy uh, can show itself in a lot of ways. One way is this hypocrisy likes to paint a picture, a facade for people to see. You know, it's like you've seen the uh, masquerade parties where people will wear a mask and they're hiding their true identity. And that's one thing that hypocrisy does. It wants to look good on the outside and it wants it to look better than what it is on the inside. And you see this in Matthew 23. Jesus is teaching, and it's recorded this way, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and look at what he calls them, hypocrites. He says, for you are clean on the outside of the cup, and the plate, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. It's only concerned with itself. Then in verse 27, he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and again, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful outwardly, but within you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So love cannot be true love if it's hypocrisy because it's only concerned with painting this this fake facade, this picture that isn't reality. But there's another thing that hypocrisy will do. Hypocrisy will not only try to hide their true identity, hypocrisy will also love to identify, bring attention to other people's flaws so that theirs doesn't show up. In fact, you see it in Luke 6. It's teaching us, and it says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your your eye when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye, and notice what he calls them, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So a hypocrite, that's what they do. They love to notice, bring attention to other people's flaws. So hiding, not bringing attention to their own, and so it's not love if it's full of hypocrisy. Then Paul begins showing us what love is. And here's the second thing. So love's got to be genuine without hypocrisy. The second thing is love stands up for good and against evil because look at what it says at the end of verse 9. Abhor what is evil. And in that word it means to hate exceedingly. So there is a righteous, a right, hate, to be horrified by it. We should hate evil. But hold fast, it means to cling to, glue yourself to, hold tightly to what is good. But what is the good and what is the evil that we are to cling to and to hate? Here's what we have to understand is that evil is not defined by what I hate. And good is not defined by what I like or I love because I abhor sweet potatoes. And now, listen, I've tried them all different ways and it should never have been created. I hate, loathe sweet potatoes. But a sweet potato is not evil because I abhor it. Now, I love coffee, but that doesn't make coffee good. In fact, if you're allergic to coffee, it could be pretty bad, or you have a, a reaction to caffeine. God bless you. But I mean, uh, it's so good and evil is not defined by what I think is good, or what I like, or what I don't like. In fact, the standard for love is what we saw back in verse 2 of this chapter. Remember, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern or know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to know that God is the one that decides what is good and evil. And He has given us some things to love. We're to love God. We're to love others. We're to love the gospel. We're to love serving and building up the church. We're to love Forgiving other people. There's all kinds of things that God tells us to love. And there's also on the flip side, there are things that you are and rightly should hate. You should hate pride, arrogance, hate idols, lies, death, murder, sin. There's all kinds of things that rightly we are to hate. But when there is no God, then we become the ones that get to define what good and evil is. Without Him, good and evil is simply in the eye of the beholder. And just last month, I, I remember this coming front and center with something I saw and how the world is taking things that we should hate and setting them up as something that we should absolutely love. I didn't see it live, but it kind of swept through social media, so I got a glimpse of it, and it happened during the Golden Globes. It's an award ceremony back on January 5th, and there was an actress by the name of Michelle Williams, and she received this uh, award. I think it was Best Actress in a Limited Series or TV Movie. Don't even remember what it was. That's not the point. But it's what she said. In fact, in her speech, I went back and listened to it to just make sure, did I hear what she said? She begins this way. She says, this award acknowledges the choices that a person makes. I've worked hard to make a life of my own making. And so far, okay, you know, I understand what she's saying. And we like that idea of somebody pulling themselves up and making something of their life. But then she goes on to say, I wanted to make a life that I could look back on and see my own handwriting one that I carved with my very own hands, and then I started getting nervous. But then it's what she said next was the most shocking. She said, I could not have done this, and I never would have achieved this award without using my right to choose. And she was speaking of abortion. She went on to say, I implore all women to vote in your own self-interest. And what a picture of somebody with no God that gets to now define for themselves what is good and what is evil. And there are many things we should hate, and I think abortion is absolutely one of those that Christians, believers, should hate. Now, I don't hate her. I began praying for her that night. And for anyone that has made that choice, that they would find deliverance and forgiveness in that. But for her to set up something as good as I never would have achieved this, I never would be where I am today if I had not exercised that choice. So the point is, where there is no God, we then become the ones that define what is good and evil. But as believers, we must recognize that God is the one that determines that. And so love stands up for what is good and what is evil in God's sight. Here's the third thing that love is. Love is committed to others. Because look at verse 10. It says, love one another with a brotherly affection. This is another form of love. It means to be committed, to be devoted to. A a family kind of love. And then he says there is one race to win, not how many come to your Seder, even though we did win that. It says outdo one another in showing honor. It means you should outdo one another in considering others better than yourself. Instead of seeking the place of honor, instead of seeking the acknowledgments of other people, we should try to outdo each other in showing honor. That love is committed to others. Then there's a fourth thing. Love, true love, god love will push you, will push me to the end of ourselves. And it's in verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in your zeal. And you've all seen a sloth, how slow they move. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit Serve the Lord. So he says, "Don't love is not true love if it shrinks back, if it fades, if it, if it's hesitant, if it's easily swayed, it's not lazy." But why would Paul say this? And I think it's because he knows this about himself, and somehow, some way, he knows this about us: is that we can easily lose steam, we can easily get discouraged, we. We easily get complacent. So then Paul uses a very interesting term. And this can be a challenge in Scripture. You have to go back, and when you're really studying to try to understand what is going on, you have to go back to your early English days. You have to know nouns and verbs and adverbs and sentence structure and all those things I despise. Notice I didn't say hate. I despise because it doesn't come naturally. And then there are things like commands, and we can see a lot of those in Scriptures, to go and do. took us 12 chapters to, to get there, but we finally did. But then there's a thing called a participle. And a participle is a use of a verb in different ways. And it'll look like and disguise itself like a command, but it's not something to go and do. It'll read this way, but it's actually something that happens to you. And that's what it is when he says, be fervent in spirit. It's not a command because this word means to burn or to be on fire. So it's not saying go set yourself on fire. But what he is saying is this. Love is going to push you to the end of yourself. Yeah, I can work hard to make my love genuine without hypocrisy. I can try hard to love others first and to show honor. And we should do that. I can work hard and to love the things that God determines good and hate the things that God hates. But Paul is about to walk through some of the things about love that are absolutely impossible for us to do in our own strength, in our own power. So Paul says, be fervent in spirit. But it's not a command. It's not something to go and do. It's a participle that means let the spirit burn in you. Allow yourself to be set on fire by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to lead and to work through you because He's about to set up the next verses. So how do you let the Spirit work? He says in verse 12, First, rejoice in hope. Celebrate the hope. Remind yourself of what you have and who you are in Christ. Be patient in tribulation, reminding yourself that all things Work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And then be constant in prayer. And there's nothing that will keep you more dependent on the Spirit than prayer meeting. Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. So then he begins in verse 13 with the fifth thing. Love pursues Now it's going to start in the shallow end here. Notice verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Take care of each other. When someone's in need, be quick to step in and seek to show hospitality. This hospitality is an idea of opening up your lives to other people. Not just those that you know well and you enjoy being around. It literally means to entertain strangers. People that you don't know well or don't even know. But notice it also means to not just wait on others to show up. It means to go out and to bring them in. In fact, if you have an NIV, it'll say something. It says practice hospitality. Meaning something that you're going to have to kind of do over and over again because the first time you open up your life to someone, you're going to be nervous and anxious. Things may not go as you had planned, but you keep working at it and working and practicing and practicing. So a love that you cannot do on your own. He says hospitality, but it's just a shallow end of the pool because these next two sections are where it really gets hard. In fact, this, there's probably an area in which Christians are called to rise above what would come naturally. It's these next two sections. And this is where Paul is going to call us to do something that will not come natural and you cannot do without the aid and the empowerment of the Spirit. Because the sixth thing is this. Love calls us to bless those that are hard to bless. Look at verse 14. Bless those... I wish it said those that were easy to bless, or those that liked me. And it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those that are against you. Bless and do not cause them harm. In fact, the root word of bless, it's the word eulogy. In fact, the Canes are gathering this afternoon for the funeral of his mother, A eulogy is what you often hear at funerals where someone's going to stand up and they're going to say nice things. They're going to bless the person and and bless their family with their words. So believers, Christians are called to find something good about everyone, no matter what they have done, to bless them. My mother-in-law is one of these. It's like she's never said anything bad about anybody. If she has, I've never heard it, and I've made it a game to try to get her to say something bad about someone. Finally, she'll say, Mark, in her kind voice, she just knows better than I, that we are to bless other people. And I remember one day I got to experience this or watch it happen. And one time I thought I could be a teacher, and I was mistaken. Um, I was teaching junior high math and uh, realized that seventh graders can smell pretty bad at times. Uh, but you can't light candles in class now and all that kind of stuff. And, but I was teaching junior high math. And it's so interesting. If you're a teacher, you know this. Um, you kind of know the kids before they get to your class because teachers talk. Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, this kid, oh, beware. And it happens. And I can remember hearing about this kid, and I remember thinking, oh, no, I hope he doesn't get put in my class. And sure enough, he did. There was a teacher that I taught with in this area, and I noticed how he started treating this young man. He started saying positive things and speaking words of blessing into his life, telling him things he's probably never heard, never heard at home. And all of a sudden, there was this dramatic change in this kid. And so it's easy to bless someone. That's nice or for us, but it's completely unnatural to bless someone who is against us. To say something good about someone that's hurt us, caused us pain and sorrow, and even persecuted us. It takes a grace as any calling ever did because it is not a natural tendency. And so, in fact, I think the only way this can happen is to remember something. It's to take this and to hide it deep down into our hearts that at any time we could remember this. That you and I, we will never have to forgive anyone. You'll never have to be more gracious. And you will never have to be more patient than God has been with you. And that's so true. I mean, when I'm at my boiling point and I'm as angry as, or angry as I thought I could ever be, I had to try to remind myself in this moment, I will not have to be more forgiving and more gracious and more patient than God has been with me. So Paul paints a picture for us in verse 15. And notice context, context, context. You've probably heard this verse. Hey, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Live in harmony. And we like to think, he's thinking about people. And it's easy to have harmony with. And it's easy to rejoice with because there's this kindred spirit. But in context, it's not that. It's those that are against us. Those that that don't have our best interests in mind. Get to the place that you can rejoice with them. You can weep with them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haunty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight then notice it doesn't get easier. The seventh thing about love, love treats people better than they deserve. Begins in verse 17. Repay no one, evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, do everything you can to live peacefully with all. But I know when we've been wronged, many of you, I know you have been wronged on so many different levels and I don't want to make light of that at all. Pain is real and sorrow is real and it is not diminishing any of that. The truth of the Scripture is that our natural tendency is to want revenge, to get even, for the world to be set right and we want them To pay. And the good news is God has given us a structure, a system, where hopefully that can happen. But the moment that we repay evil with evil, immediately we lose the battle to evil and it wins. So we are to do everything we can to live in peace with everyone, no matter how painful or unfair it might seem. But I want to be honest. Getting along with people, being forgiving, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, isn't it easier when guilty people are humble and repentant and and we can see our pain reflected in their sorrow? It is so much easier. But when someone isn't repentant, when they're blinded and it even seems sometimes that they even delight In our suffering. It goes beyond all. Our natural capability. To do this. It requires a supernatural strength. That it can only come. From being set on fire. By the spirit. So what are we to do? It's in the eighth thing. Love is going to trust God. And it's going to do good. Look at verse 19 and 20. Beloved. Never avenge yourselves. Don't take it into your own hands, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, he says, vengeance is mine and God will repay, says the Lord. And who better hands to live it in than the one that created the universe and controls all things. I might think I could get even. Or I might uh, set the world right by what happened, but only God can do it rightly. In verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this isn't setting them on fire. It says, leave revenge to the Lord. We are to trust that God will be the one to bring justice and it will be accurate and right and just. In the meantime, we are to do good in hopes that it will heap coals upon their head. And it's hard to really know where this phrase really came from. But one of the the pictures I found seems to fit uh, pretty accurate was this, when you would live in a home and your only source of heat and light and cooking and protection was fire. And it was a very humbling and disrespectful act to let your fire burn out. It was lazy in providing for your family. It showed a a lack of care. And so what you would have to do, you would have to then go to your neighbor's house you have to tell them, I've let my fire go out. You would then carry a heap of coals from their house to your house. And everyone that saw this knew what had happened. It was a very humbling act. So I think Paul is saying is that kindness softens people's hearts and it creates a humility. So when you put this all together, here's what we've seen so far. Eight things about love. It's love is, first of all, it's without hypocrisy. It's genuine. Love is going to stand up for what is good and against what is evil. Love is going to be committed to each other. Love will push us to the end of ourselves. Love is going to pursue others. It's going to bless those that are hard to bless. It's going to treat people better than they deserve. And love is going to trust God and do good in the meantime. When all of that happens, this is what you see, the ninth thing. Love defines God's plan for the world because look at verse 21. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, God's plan, God's ultimate plan, what He's doing from Genesis to Revelation, He is reclaiming His creation from the control of evil to supernaturally transform it and to finally, once again, bring it under control of His goodness and righteousness. And one day we will get to experience that in its fullest. And God will overcome the world with good. And so in the meantime, His Spirit living and active through you, overcoming evil, doing good, is a part of His plan. That you and I get to be a part of His ultimate plan of overcoming evil in the world, and us today get to be a part of that in a small way of overcoming the evil by doing good. So therefore I say, love is doing whatever it takes to give people what they need the most. And I believe there is nothing more God honoring than that. Because those in your life, you know what sometimes they need? They do need somebody to stand up and fight for what is good and abhor what is evil. People are going to need that. Sometimes what people need the most is to know that someone is for them and is committed to them. Sometimes people, what they need the most is to have somebody to be hospitable to them and to open up their lives to them. Sometimes what people need the most is to be blessed because they've never heard positive or encouraging words. Sometimes what people need the most is to be treated better than they deserve. And sometimes what people need the most is for those that they have wronged to trust God and to turn around and show them kindness. So love is doing whatever it takes to give people what they need the most. And I know this is easy to say, but it is really Hard to do. And I know the next time something like this comes up, you're not going to remember all nine of these things. Remember, now what was number four, and how do I implement that? I know that's not going to happen. But there is one you can look to. When this happens in your life, and someone needs love, our only hope is to cling to the gospel and to realize that all of this has, first of all, already been done for us in Christ. Because you know what? He stood up and fought for what is good, and he hated evil. You need to know Christ is more committed to you than you will ever be committed to him, and he will never give up. Christ invites you into his life to give you life. He has treated us better than we deserve. Christ trusted the Father. Instead of seeking vengeance, He trusted His Father by laying His life down on the cross, not just for the sin of others, but for each and every one of mine. So the only way for our love to be genuine or without hypocrisy is to first of all know the love of Christ that He has for you. That it is genuine. It is without hypocrisy. That is the only way We can show that love to other people. And I pray by the grace of God, we can do that to be a part of His plan of reclaiming the world. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com.